Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Monster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, I mean, not the same as every other year, um, but probably worked out better for me. My wife, we, their family, we always go to Nebraska, meet all our family that's from Chicago and Nebraska. So didn't have to do that this year. Did everything at her parents' house in Colorado. So nice. Uh, a small win. I suppose you got you, you to take all those small wins you can get yeah. this year. <laughs> yeah. So the Buffs are bowl eligible for just the second time in the last 13 years. It sounds weird to say that. Obviously, they're only three and no, and there's bowl games getting canceled left and right. Is there any type of excitement you get from them being bowl eligible, Tyler, or is it uh, does it feel cheap at all just being three and no when you're talking about something like that? Well, I don't think it feels cheap. I wouldn't say that at all. Um, you know they didn't ask for the situation that we're in and, you know, they have to go out and win the games just like everybody else does. So no, I w- wouldn't say that it, you know, being bowl eligible means a lot and you kind of have to take those victories, right. You know, whether or not there's a bowl for them to play and, you know, it would be disappointing, I suppose, if they weren't able to, but again, that's not on them. They did. You, you just have to take solace in the fact that they did enough to be a bowl team for the first time in 40 years and for the second time, in, as you mentioned, 13 years. Obviously, the CU men's basketball program started out 2-0. and They're on a pause right now because of COVID. Uh, we're we're going to get into that like we usually do, uh, talk basketball on the back end of the show. Uh, and we've got another really mailbag-heavy show, which is great because uh, I like knowing what, what the subscribers of Buff Stampede want us to discuss. But uh, we'll jump into a few football topics first and – I get sick of hearing myself talk by about this point of the week because Brian and I do all those analysis videos. I want to get your takeaways from Colorado's win over San Diego State. Yeah, I mean, I've seen prettier ball games, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, in hindsight, probably to be expected, you know, short week preparation-wise, um, San Diego State is obviously, that's kind of their deal, right? I mean, they they definitely try to muck up the game, make it real ugly. Defensively, they're typically pretty good, so... I guess not really surprising in how the game was played. I mean, I think it was definitely frustrating for a lot of reasons, right? It felt like we kind of played into their game strategy a little bit, which you don't always love to see. Um, You know, the game wasn't particularly close, I wouldn't say. I mean, the only touchdown they had was um, on a bad decision by our offense. But um, it's, you know, you definitely offensively, the offensive line was not as good as you would like to see, um, especially given what we saw in the first two weeks. It definitely felt like the game was being played in a mud storm, uh, which it obviously the weather wasn't that bad. So it was a little bit, you know, difficult to watch the game. I mean, the production from the Pac-12 network was a joke as well. The officials uh chose to muck up the game with some pretty questionable reviews early on as well. So the whole thing kind of, meshed together to be a frustrating ball game. But at the end of the day, San Diego State's a pretty good team, a team that will also be bowl eligible most likely. Um, I think they had beaten Pac-12 opponents six consecutive times or six out of the last seven. I forget what, what the actual stat was. So, I mean, a win that counts and a win that matters. Obviously, you would have liked to play USC, but they went in there and took care of business, did what they had to do. And I, I think I said on another pod, it's a lot better to be – winning ugly than losing pretty. Nate Landman has been racking up the awards this week, two national 
Defensive Player of the Week awards, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week as well. That's the second time he's earned that with uh, just three games, you know, with Lamin playing. And he's a uh, Butkus Award semifinalist. And Tommy, it just the way he hits people, it mm-hmm. just looks different yeah. than what other football <laughs> players, yeah. uh, you know, hit the running back or quarterback. Yeah, he's a big dude that has no regard for his own safety. So you put those two things together and typically – it's going to look like it hurts when the other person gets tackled. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he's, des- he's deserving of all those accolades, right? I mean, he's always been a guy who's a wrecker. I mean, that's, there's nothing new for us. He's starting to get that recognition as the team is playing better. The defense is playing better. Um, and he's going to continue to do that for the rest of his career. I mean, I, I would say that San Diego state is pretty much a perfect matchup for him. They didn't have a prayer of completing a pass, so they didn't really have to worry about that for him. And, you know, it's nice when Nate can just turn his brain off and just go attack the ball. It might be another perfect matchup for him this week going down to Tucson uh, because Arizona's offensive line is really struggling. Uh, so and they might yeah. be starting a freshman quarterback back there so you yeah, can really Grant, pin your ears back and, and get after him. For sure. If Grant Canell doesn't play um, – I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be the same type of thing. Um, I liked essentially that last week we dared San Diego State to throw and they refused to do so. So we just kept pinning our ears back and really San Diego State didn't give themselves much of a chance to win the game. Right. I mean, they just continued to pound the ball up the middle and pray for the best and they didn't get a whole lot of those prayers answered. So, you know, Arizona obviously is a better team or offensive team typically than San Diego State is. We'll have to see how everything shakes out. But, yeah, I mean, I, I see a similar situation where the defense is basically going to have to let Arizona prove that they can move the ball. And you can't finish wrapping up the San Diego State game without mentioning Carson Wells. Yeah. Uh, he's He made the jump that we were hoping he would make last year, but he had plantar fasciitis, and that, I think, right. played into it more than anything. And so uh, – Mustafa Johnson's quietly having a, a solid season as well. You know, he's not racking up huge stat totals, but he's rated the third best among the Pac-12 defense alignment, according to Pro Football Focus. I mean, he was a preseason all-Pac-12 all pick, so that's not surprising. But, uh, you know, he, he's been maybe better than a lot of people are recognizing just because Nate Lamb is, is getting so much of the recognition. Yeah, Carson, I mean, as a guy that both of us have been talking about for a long time, a guy we liked, I think there was a little concern last year's drop-off, you know, the was there an injury excuse? And I think he's quickly proven this year that it wasn't an excuse, that that was really affecting his game. He looks back to the level of player that we've expected from him for a long time. He's been absolutely terrific. I mean, those two in this game and throughout the season have been by far the most consistent between him and Landman. Uh, Mustafa, yeah, he's really solid. You know, he's not a guy that's going to rack up a ton of stats. He, he, Him and Terrence Lang, I think both really do their job silently on the defensive line. Um, very stout in the run game, opening up gaps for our linebackers to shoot through and make those plays. So they're not going to get a lot of the recognition, but certainly they're doing their job on the inside for the bus. On offense, Vontae Chanel had a nice game, led the team with six receptions, but I think you got to try to get Dimitri Stanley involved more. He was only targeted twice in that game. He's your best receiver. And I get that, you know, San Diego State had a little bit more time to prepare for CU and they probably saw him as a big weapon. But still, he seems to grab some balls that some other CU receivers aren't able to. And so I, I just think if you're going to take a chance, uh, you know, going towards somebody, he, he's the, the guy that you want to target more. 
For sure. I mean, you already know my feelings on this. I, again, a guy that I've been high on for a while now, uh, Vontae as well, a guy that I, that I had pretty high expectations on leading into the year. So um, for me, both of those guys are huge contributors um, on this offense. And yeah, you know, it felt like they were forcing KD the ball a little bit early on in the game because he was back for the first time this year. Uh, you have to, there's no excuse not to get the ball to Dimitri Stanley more. He's pretty clearly, in my opinion, your best playmaker, um, you know, catching the ball. Um, so they're going to have to make sure that he's more involved moving forward. It was a big day for three local walk-ons. Curtis Appleton from Cherry Creek got his first interception in replacement of the injured Chris Miller. C.J. Shemansky uh, gets the start at tight end and catches a couple short passes. And Mac Willis uh, is kicking off for the buffs. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to lean on those guys going forward, but it's still a cool story. And it's not like any of those guys, uh, you know, struggled mightily out there. Uh, no, I wouldn't say they struggled mightily. I would say um, Schmansky was <laughs> got more deep balls than everybody else on the team combined in that game, which probably isn't what you want to do moving forward. No offense to the kid. That's probably not your um, best option in that way. But, yeah, I mean, they all, you know, they got put in a tough position, right, and they went out there and did what they needed to do. I think Schmansky, I think, had at least one catch that I saw. I'm not sure if he had another one. But, yeah, I mean, you're – that's kind of this season, right? There's going to be a lot of attrition. There's going to be a lot of guys playing positions that maybe they're not comfortable with or in roles that they're not used to. So if you want to keep winning, that that type of stuff needs to keep happening, stepping up. Sam Neuer told us this week that this is the best the team camaraderie, team leadership's been on the team since 2016. He was, uh, you know, on that team. He was signaling in plays from the sideline and was around Sefo and, and Steven Montez as the backup that year. Uh it's funny, Tyler, is when team camaraderie and team leadership is bad, you don't really hear about it until after the fact. But, uh, you know, I, I do think you can see that this team really likes each other. And it's pretty evident by the way they've played early on. For sure. I mean, I think a lot of it is they're winning. You know, that that cures a lot of the other issues. You're not really too worried about a guy's personality you're playing next to if you guys if you're going out there and getting wins every game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the reason you hear about personality issues after the season is because they lost a bunch of games and people are tired of it by the end. You know, it's sometimes a little simpler than I think people make it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think especially the last couple incoming classes you can tell are very close, which I think is important for sure. I mean, culturally moving forward. We'll see if that continues. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, culture-wise, a team that wins a lot more games than they lose is typically going to be better off. And it helps when guys like Sam Neuer, Mustafa Johnson, Nate Lana have you know, not in-your-face personalities. You know, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're good guys. Uh, yeah. And so I think that, that kind of plays into it as well. You, same thing with 2016, Seppo, Lufau, Phil, Lindsay, Chido Bayouzier. I haven't heard anybody tell me they don't like them as human beings. They're, they're pretty likable guys. And so right. I think that helps when your leaders are like that as well. And not to knock on Steven Montez, but I don't. he just wasn't maybe the guy you rally around quite as much as you do when you see Sam Noyer's moxie and kind of his personality out there. Yeah, and I think part of it is also how hard they work, right? I mean, there's a different level – of respect for a guy who is your team leader that works just as hard as everybody else in the room. And when that situation doesn't happen, it's noticeable. I just noticed I said not a knock on, but it came off as a knock, but uh, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is, right? I mean, like it's not necessarily that Steven was bad at that role, but some people are more elite at it. Right. And right. some, you know, like Nate Lamon is one of the hardest working dudes 
there is out there. When that matches up with him being productive, you know, that's when you have a special leader. And that's not necessarily on Steven. That's just a rare trait. It doesn't happen that often. We talked a little bit about the quarterback situation at Arizona being up in the air this week. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch a full Arizona game, but I've caught bits and pieces here and there. You know, they're not getting a consistent pass rush. Their offensive line's a mess. They could wake up and, and get better on Saturday, especially if Gunnell's behind center. But if Colorado doesn't win this game, I give Buffs fans all, all the right to be really frustrated. For sure. I mean, I think the only the only pause you have, right, is that we've probably should have beaten Arizona most of the last three years, especially the last two years. And we found a way not to. Um, so that's but the reason, really the reason they lost that game is not there this year. Right. As an excuse. Right. For sure. I, I, and I agree with that 100 percent. I'm just saying, like, talent wise, we should have found a way to get it done. So this year we're going to be in that same situation. There's no excuse to lose it. Had we done our job against Arizona the last two years, we would be bowl eligible for the third season in a row. So, they, you know, they have to prove that they can go down there and win the game. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Fenty, two asked, status of Colby Purcell in the tight ends. And LJ Buff, zero four asked, Adam, can you give us an update on the tight ends? What is the status of Jared Poplowski? And do you think he'll see time this year? Really pulling for him. Also, has Alec Pell been working with this group? Is this a permanent move? So a lot on the tight ends there. We'll start with what the tight ends group looks like this week. Carl Durrell hinted that they might get some guys back on offense, and Matt Lynch is not in the category of being out for an extended period of time, so you might see him back. We don't have a final update. I think, again, it's Wednesday we're recording this. That's not something that's going to be determined probably until later in the week. Jared Poplowski has been practicing. I don't know how close he is to playing in the game. And Alec Pell did get moved over there recently to work with that group. He did play well in that kind of H-back role at Cherry Creek, but I, I like him as a linebacker long-term. I think this is more of a short-term solution. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, he, I thought he was very versatile at Cherry Creek and we didn't really know exactly where he'd end up. He's already moved positions twice. So I'm honestly a little surprised that he hasn't been more productive already in his career. I know it's early, but I was really high on Alex. So it'll be interesting to see how that transitions. I, I did see he got in the game and had a pancake on one of the highlights I noticed. So he was playing a tight end. We'll see if it's permanent. It might just be, it might be permanent just based on need. We'll have to see what his thoughts on are on it at some point, probably. Yeah. Well, you're bringing Eric Olson in and you've got a couple true freshmen scholarship tight ends there and Poplowski, who uh, we were maybe kind of starting to write up just because he's had so many injury concerns as you know, he's been practicing again. So I, I do think he gets moved back. He was, He's been helping on special teams. He is a redshirt freshman. I mean, I think right. he's got a bright future. Mm -hmm. And Nate Lamond, this is going to be his last hurrah at CU, so you're going to need other guys to step up there. Um, in case Fenty, too, didn't know, Brady Russell, uh, I wouldn't expect to see him play again this year. I think we talked about that last week. And then Colby Purcell, kind of same as uh, Matt Lynch. We don't quite know. We're going to have to wait till pregame on that. Uh, next question, CT Buff asked, what does the offense need to do to create more plays? Only a handful of plays over 30 yards through three games. None on Saturday. It seems to me with a strong run game, shots downfield should be there for the taking. Well, San Diego State's defense is pretty good, right? And I don't think that's the game where you're going to want to take unnecessary risks. They kind of did with the pick yeah. six. <laughs> 
Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, I think the San Diego State's offense sort of dictated our offense a little bit in that regard too. Like as you said, you're not gonna we took we took an unnecessary risk and it bit us in the ass. Um, you're not gonna do that again when you're watching the other side of the ball and it's pretty clear they're gonna need essentially a miracle to score on back to back possessions. So I understand it from some degree. I did feel like though we marched right down the field on the first possession. There was a little more uh a little more for the taking there. But yeah, I mean I, I would say play action. They're not using that as much as you would like to see. I would also like to see um, more designed quarterback runs for Sam Neuer. I think he's electric in that role and uh, give one, one more thing for the defense to think about. And then lastly, I'd like to see some tempo adjustments. Um, I think really that's where you start to gash defenses is when you get into those tempo sets, uh, the defense gets tired pretty quick and you can start making some plays in, in that regard. Now, looking ahead to this week, if you don't get some explosives against this Arizona team, then you should be frustrated because they're giving up 35 points a game. They're giving up 229 rushing yards per game. Again, small sample size with all these teams in the Pac-12 right now, but they're they're near the bottom of the conference in both those categories. You, you got to be able to move the ball offensively this week. Yeah. Scobuffs80 asked, what are your thoughts on the backup running back going into our last three games? Who should it be? And what is the right number of reps for them? So this was uh, a hot topic on our message board after the game on Saturday, because uh, apparently, I don't know if I saw all the tweets, but apparently the two running backs that didn't get into the game were kind of tweeting frustration out there. Did did you see that, Tyler? Yeah, not anything new for those two, though, right? Okay. I mean, people are going to continue to overreact to Jaron Mangum and (laughs) shot Clayton's tweets (laughs) you know I think you know part of it is legit right like that's not what you should be tweeting after you get bowl eligible but at the same time like you know these kids want to play I get it Carl Durrell addressed this and I mean he said what you'd expect a head coach to to say is that we're going to play the guy that had the best week in practice and I don't think whining about it uh, whining about it on Twitter is not the best way to get more playing time no I mean yeah of course not and I would also say he said this last week too. After it's so funny, people have been talking about, oh, Mangum's been struggling. Should they go with someone else? So they go with someone else, and people complain that Mangum doesn't play. It's like, what do you guys want? I mean, if Joe if Joe Davis is the guy that's performing the best in practice, and for what it's worth, he wasn't great in the game, but he looked better than Mangum looked in the first two weeks. So, you know, do they need to get those guys more touches? They need to get someone more touches. I'm not going to say who it should or should not be. I'm not watching practice but you can't give Jarek Broussard 30 carries every game. So, yeah, th- those are your thoughts. You said you'd like to see them allocate the, the carries out a little bit differently than they have with uh, Broussard being the workhorse there. Uh, would you – I would imagine you agree with Carl Drell then that you're gonna, you play the guy that's performing the best in practice? Sure, sure. yeah, for state, sure, absolutely. And, and it's, not like, it's not like one of these guys who's barely playing has come in and really flashed. You know what I mean? Like all three of the backups have not put up good numbers. Um, to put it mildly. So they haven't given a bunch of opportunities. And of course, the other problem is Jarek has been super productive. It's hard to take him off the field. I just think you have to keep him fresh for the end of games. You got to put in somebody consistently somewhere in there. And really, honestly, I think a lot of those rushes should be going to Sam. Okay. I'm fine with Broussard having the workload that he's had just because of the, the shortened season, you know, if this was a 12 game season, then I think it's different. And 
they have rotated enough to where he's getting a breather here and there. So I don't have any issue with the way that they've been running him so far. At the end of the San Diego State game, San Diego State knows it. They're running out the clock. Yeah, his stat total didn't look great there at the end, but that's just because you had a really good run defense that knew what C was trying to do there. Right. TKH11 asked, is Chris Miller expected to have surgery postseason? If so, how long is he expected to be out? Do you know of any players expected to have surgery or any players already on the injured list expected to miss spring practices? Thank you. All I know about Chris Miller is that Drill said that this is going to be plaguing him the rest of the season. And so it's how his shoulders feeling that week. I would guess that Deion Smith is probably still going to be out this spring uh, since he got hurt just before camp with his knee. Uh, but I don't know. Like we've only got a few more weeks of the season. I'm not ready to look ahead to spring practices and start diving into that reporting quite yet. Yeah. Do we even have feedback on is spring practice going to be normal timeline? Do we even know that yet? No clue. You know, yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, sound like a broken record living day by day. Right. And that's what Darrell says every time we talk about something that's beyond today. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, spring ball, there's, there's a time for that. We've got a lot of time to fill after this uh, abbreviated season's over with. Buffalo Blood asked, is Sam Neuer really considering coming back next year? Uh, I don't know why he wouldn't. Yeah, uh, as opposed to what? I mean, Going you're to not, the draft, because yeah. that's not really realistic, right? Yeah. At this point, that's not realistic. He hasn't shown that he's an NFL-quality quarterback as of yet, in my opinion. Sam Neuer loves Colorado. He calls Boulder his second home. The only reason he went into the transfer portal is because he wanted a chance to be a starting quarterback. And now he's a starting quarterback at Boulder and you can continue to work on your grad degree. I don't know where he's at with all that, but I haven't asked him that because we're kind of in the middle of the season, but pretty soon, you know, I'll maybe throw it out to him on one of these zoom calls and just, just confirm that. But I just can't imagine there's any way he wouldn't be back. Golf pro buff asked, it appears all lower level to mid tier bowls are getting canceled. Any shot the bus play in a bowl, would they need to win out? Uh, I mean, they got to keep winning, right? Three and three is probably not going to get them into a bowl game at this point. Right. Based on how many bowls are being canceled. That's for sure. Um, yeah. You would think if they get Arizona, you know, that would solidify them as at worst four and two. Now you don't want to finish the season with two losses. That's not going to help your case any, but you know, that would put you in a better position than most. I would have to think four and two in the PAC 12 would put you, you know, in the, top six, point, right? in the top six of the league, right. At, at the very least. So that would give you a pretty good shot. Um, I, I, I wish, you know, I probably should be paying a little more attention to what exactly has been canceled, but I think the issue with focusing on it too much now is that, you know, looking through the tea leaves here, seems likely that more are going to be canceled as time goes on. So it's just a matter of how many bowls are played. You know, one thing I didn't love about um, the, how they handled the March Madness situation is I think they should have they should have come out with a list of teams that for sure were going to make the tournament, regardless of the results to be left. Right. I mean, there was a safe number of teams that you could say, OK, these teams got in. We want to give them recognition. And I hope they find a way to do that um, in the bowl game season as well, even if there aren't bowls to be played. Like if they would announce these are the seven teams from Pac-12 that would have made a bowl game, 
I think that's that would be a cool recognition just so the team can feel like they accomplished something, even if there isn't a game to be played. That kind of leads us into our next question here from Triangle Buff 2011. He asked, given the low-level bowls are canceling, which other conference would you like to see the Buffs play in lieu of a bowl game? A theoretical conference versus conference showdown like they do for hoops. Before we answer this, you know, this is possibly something that could be, you know, you something you really could do if all these bowls are canceling and you've got healthy teams out there that want to play each other and play an extra game and create some more revenue. Uh, you know, the PAC 12 said there's going to be no out of conference games and then they changed their mind. They were flexible. I think if these bowls keep canceling, I think that would be a great idea. For sure. And I was actually going to bring this up on free balling tonight, but we can talk about it here too. To me, the PAC 12 is eliminated from the, college football playoff at this point. I think we can say that's fair, correct? So mm-hmm. if you're the Pac-12, wouldn't you just extend the season another week or two? You could put Colorado and USC in a matchup prior to the Pac-12 championship game if you wanted to, um, you know, start enhancing these teams' opportunities to get into the bigger bowls. Like, why would you not do that? Why would you not postpone the um, conference championship game a week, have USC and Colorado play, to determine who's going to go play in a conference championship game the next week. And then as you pointed out earlier in this question, yeah, start sending them off to non-conference games uh, for, you know, match up with someone that you could have potentially played in a bowl. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. Well, I think for CU in terms of what matchup you'd like to see, probably the big 10, right? Just in terms of, for whatever reason, it seems we have a closer connection to those big 10 schools. Like I, I would enjoy playing a big 10 school more than most of the other leagues out there for sure. Um, you know, you don't ACC SEC doesn't really do much for me in a matchup. I, the big 12 would be cool. I mean, bring it back to one of your old big 12 rivals, maybe. Yeah. That from a regional standpoint, maybe that's the, uh, although the big 10 and big 12, there's not a huge difference there. Yeah. I mean, you may be a little bit farther out in the Eastern part of the big 10, but that's about it. All right, let's move along. Missoula Buff asked, do you think the Pac-12 will alter any of the remaining schedule to allow for a cleaner championship matchup, i.e. not decided on tiebreaker rules? For example, switch teams, move game dates around, or extend the season a week. We kind of touched on that already. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I would be surprised if they move teams for any reason other than COVID messes a game up. I think that's probably not a great look. If you're just simply tell, let's, you know, for argument's sake, Washington State and Arizona, you guys are going to play against each other because you aren't any good. So, so that Colorado can yeah. play USC. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a precedent you want to set, but I could definitely see them extending the season or moving game dates around um, if necessary, for sure. We've got another scheduling question from Jack CR 708. I don't know. It's just, let's get through this week, see where CU is at. There's just so many moving parts with COVID and everything in terms of mm-hmm. the championship game. It'll become clear, and there's only a few weeks left. But he he also did ask, will the Buffs be ranked if they beat Arizona? That's that's a good question to ask here. So C was number 30 in the AP poll, number 33 in the coaches poll. Uh, so it, obviously it's contingent on what happens ahead of them from that 25 to 30 or 25 to 33 spots this week. But, uh, I mean, they definitely would deserve it if they're, they're 4-0 after this weekend. What I would say is I, f- I feel more confident that they would move into the college football playoff rankings than the AP or coaches poll. Uh, typically that ranking 
is doing the necessary level of discussion that you need to truly say, okay, these teams are comparing against each other rather than we all know the AP and the coaches poll is usually a contest based on who started the season ranked and who didn't. Right. I mean, that, that affects the rankings more than almost anything. So if, if they do win, I would be pretty surprised to not see them in the college football playoff rankings next week. I'll say that. Yeah. I think it helps a little bit too, from a perception standpoint that UCLA's turned out to be pretty decent this year. You know, they've won three of their last four and they battle Oregon without DTR out there. You know, Stanford has not looked good this year, but they did beat Cal. San Diego State, their losses are against teams that are undefeated right now. So it's not a juggernaut of a schedule they've played, but it's not maybe as bad as as weak as we thought it might have been, you know, especially after UCLA. I didn't know if they were going to win a game and they've looked really solid from that second half against CU on this year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of debate, right? I was at a pretty uh, long debate with Brian Howell and a bunch of people about the USC resume versus Colorado yesterday on Twitter. And I mean, I think the problem is, of course, is that the sample size for all of these teams is extremely small. People have talked about USC's opponents being 0-6 on the year. Well, half of those games are against USC. <laughs> They're 3-0 and for a reason. They just haven't played that many other games. I mean, Utah also played Washington. You know, it depends a little bit on who these teams are playing to. I think it'll kind of even out as the year goes on for these last few games. We'll see how things shake out. But I think if you ask most people, you know, is Utah better than some of these teams that have wins in the conference? I think people would probably say yes. Carl Durrell was asked if he was frustrated that they're not in the college football playoff. And he's like, we're three and zero. you know, it's, it's kind of silly to like say, get upset about something when you've won three games. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's part of it too, right? I mean, if no, it's not Colorado's fault that we've only played three games, but it is a reality. And you look at, you look at the teams I was looking down the list as they announced, there's not really anyone up there above us right now. That's super egregious to me, except for Iowa. Iowa's pretty far up the list. And I know that metrics wise, uh, they're very, very highly regarded by the computers, but their resume is a joke. I mean, they're four and two, they lost to a team that's below 500 in Purdue. They've beat a bunch of garbage teams, not a single team above 500. So I, I don't get that aspect. But, I mean, some of these teams from the smaller divisions that are 8-0 or 7-1 and with a loss to a ranked team, yeah, I mean, they're probably going to be ranked ahead of Colorado. Ellie Buff asked, which scout team players are getting noticed? Well, I can tell you who's been uh, recognized by the coaching staff. Jaylee Stacks was named the offensive scout player of the week the last two weeks, and defense lineman Jaden Simon was a defensive pick for the last two weeks. Jay Lee Stacks, uh, his time is going to come one of these days and he's going to be a bruiser out there. I watch him run around in pregame and that is a big kid. Yeah, he's a big boy for sure. <laughs> Brumbaugh talked about Jaden Simon to me last year too. So, you know, maybe he's a guy that's going to help them down the road. Uh, they, they brought in a couple of Juco transfers in that class. And I think some of those freshmen that came in, aside from Naheem Rodman, who really hasn't played a ton this year either, have kind of, you know, been kind of waiting their turn a little bit there, which they'll, they'll get their chance. They're just a little bit smaller, right? I mean, you, you look at the rotation of our D-line right now. Those those are some men, a lot of 22-year-old guys. Yeah. King KB asked, what are your three worst officiated games, football oh, or basketball, God. that you've watched while supporting CU? And were they all officiated by Pac-12 refs? We'll just assume yes. I'm number one, go back and research it. <laughs> number one, though, Tyler has to be Sabatino Chen's Sabatino. waved off buzzer beater, sure. January of Sabatino. 2013. That's that's a no brainer. 
Yeah, that I mean, there I I can't name three, man. There are so many dumb ones out there in the world that we've seen. But generally, at the by, by the time the game's over, even if you were frustrated with some calls throughout the game, it's not the reason that CU won or lost generally, right? There haven't been a ton of those. Oh, generally, for sure. I mean, I you know, again, I try to not dwell on that stuff for like years of my life. The Sabatino one, I've I've been unable to avoid that. But um, I'm sure there are ones in the moment that I feel like they were screwed for sure. But the the only one that's obvious to me right now is definitely that one. The only one other one that came to mind as a possibility was back in 2014 when Mike McIntyre was chasing after the referees after the game, screaming at them. Do you remember that? He actually got fined by the conference. But I think that overshadowed any of my recollection as to actually how bad the officiating was that day because your focus went to how he reacted to it. I have to imagine it was pretty bad if he lost his cool that bad. I don't know because, see, I feel like I remember that that happened, but I don't remember being, like, super thrilled by it. You know, like where I was like, yeah, that's what should have happened. You know what I mean? Like, I – I would have thought that in my memory, I'd be like, oh yeah, good for him for going after the officials, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't come back to me any more egregious than the other garbage we've dealt with since the PAC 12 has been in our lives. Wyo Buff asked, what is the best reason you can speculate that Carl Drell doesn't wear Buff's gear in interviews? Humor is welcome. So we, we uh, guessed where he buys his clothing from last week, and now uh, we got to address why he doesn't wear CU the stuff. The answer is you. That would be amazing if that's actually the 100%. truth. He thinks it's amazing that people whine about it, guaranteed. I'm pretty sure he has no idea that people whine about it. <laughs> but the funny thing is he wears CU gear on days of practices and games. It's just I think on Monday they're off and they're – in the office is doing game planning. So he's wearing something that's a little bit more comfortable. I think. Uh, Do you have to wear your team stuff on game day? I don't even know the rules about it. Never occurred to me. Do you like, have to? You just, yeah. Could you just wear a regular outfit? I don't think I've ever seen a coach do that before. I don't think you have to, but I think it's kind of like when people reacted when Mel Tucker wore shorts, because you just don't <laughs> see, co- you just don't see coaches doing that. Right. But he was like, I'm in, I'm, in Arizona, I'm in Arizona, I'm hot, I'm going to wear shorts, and there's nothing stopping me. <laughs> so I don't think you have to. I don't think there's any rules there. But, I mean, right. you want to have every opportunity to recruit. And if you're on TV and you're wearing the team stuff, that I mean, they can't hurt. I don't think that's the reason the kid's going to pick Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it, would be, it would be dumb to not do it, I guess. Um, I just – I have no idea if it's actually required or not. Yeah. But if you're going on like a local news station or something like that, you probably want to have CU stuff on or a suit, again, for recruiting purposes, just to put the best image of yourself out there for the school. But uh, I'm pretty sure Wild Buff was just uh, having fun with that. I I really hope the CU fans really aren't that frustrated by that. Oh, People are frustrated by everything, man. Come on now. BCDFs asked, Adam, what are the differences in the way Carl Durrell goes about game preparation, recruiting, staff interaction, et cetera, compared to Melvin and McIntyre, anything you are impressed with or that you haven't seen before? From what I can gather from all the people I've talked to about these head coaches and the way they did things, Mike McIntyre liked to micromanage quite a bit. 
And that was that was an issue when Jim Levitt was the defense coordinator here. That didn't sit well with him. And then everything I've heard about Mel, Mel Tucker is that he was he had his hands in the program. Obviously, he's the head coach, but he let coaches do their job. From what I can tell about Carl Drell, he's kind of in the middle there where he wants to have his say, but he's going to let his coaches coach. Uh, a good example is Darren Chevrini's kind of you know hinted about the fact that he actually gets to call the offense this year on game day. Whereas I don't think that was necessarily always the case when McIntyre was the, was the coach. Is there anything uh, that, that you've noticed as big differences, Tyler? No, I mean, that's not really, I don't, I don't, I'm not as close to, to the program as you are. So that's hard for me to really say. I mean, I would just say overall, he's as even keeled as you could ever see. <laughs> that is the best way to describe it. his personality is definitely different than Mike McIntyre, who is could be very gregarious, very, uh, you know, on the other side of it, very frustrated, angry at the turn of a hat. And so sometimes that led to a little bit more up and down than I think you want from your head coach. But yeah. he did he did some really good things as the head coach at CU, obviously. Mel Tucker, he, I mean, I don't he, know. Was the, he was the only head coach I've been around that went out of his way to come talk to us when we were at camps and stuff. You didn't see that from anybody else. So I'll say that about McIntyre. Like he knew who we were. He was curious about our lives, like would come up and say hi to us, you know, during those good times. Like when he was in a good mood, he was genuinely a good person to be around. Yeah. He's a good human being. I think every once in a while, he just didn't respond to adversity. No, not. He would get a little bit too emotional about it, you know, um, Mel Tucker, it was 14 months. So we didn't have as long a, time around him he did come up to me before a couple camps last summer and went out of his way he obviously has more swagger he's uh gonna have the hashtags and the sayings and and there's some good in that for recruiting purposes but you wore shorts on the field man that's all you yeah yeah you can say as much as you want about mel tucker in hindsight but during during the mel tucker era let's be real we all love mel tucker yeah yeah but uh, i think uh carl Durrell's demeanor has been perfect for this year. And I think is kind of what they needed after having head coach leave after 14 months. Movie buff asked Tyler, how goes the Mandalorian? How many baby Yoda gifts are you buying this holiday season? I literally almost bought a baby Yoda gift for my, my brother, my brother, the one that was at USC for a long time is he's having a baby any day. So I almost got a baby Yoda, but it's a girl. So I didn't know if that was the right approach. So I held off. So no baby Yodas yet. Um, the Mandalorian is good. I'm through season one. I actually haven't watched it in a few weeks because my wife is so bored now that she's decided she wants to watch all the Marvel movies in order, which is weird because she's never once shown interest in watching them. Uh, but I think it's a long enough stretch that she's like, okay, we're both out of work now. So we have a month to do something. <laughs> nice, nice. There you go. Yeah, we're not huge into Star Wars, but Baby Yoda, he's hes pretty adorable. I actually bought the family a uh, ornament of him last year and bought my wife a coffee mug where Baby Yoda's holding the coffee mug and it says, Yoda best wife. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. actually, it was it, this this question's a year too late for me. I've already got the, the Baby Yoda gifts. Uh, we like are we're, we're getting a puppy this Christmas, December 20th. So that's, uh, we're shifting gears a little bit. Do you, does everyone know that? Or did you just out yourself? We were planning to keep it secret from the kids, but after we saw the puppy and couldn't hold the excitement in, we have started to tell them now. So it's out. Nice. Yeah. 
All right, moving along here, Wyo Buff also asked, which national sports pundits slash journalists do you guys like to follow for national sports slash college football news? Please also include one you dislike. What about you, Tyler? Who are your favorites out uh, there? Sam Viceni is an athletic writer, NBA guy. Uh, he does a lot of draft work too. Um, it's probably my favorite right now. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, he's a guy I definitely love. Actually, I'm stoked about Eric Bossy coming over to 247 because he's one of my favorite college basketball and recruiting guys ever. I mean, he, I've loved him for a long time. So that was a huge ad for the site for sure. Those are the two that stand out to me right now. Okay. Yeah, I – I listen to podcasts more than I consume. I've got like on tweet deck, I've got stuff sectioned off by who I want to follow. I don't read every tweet by every person that, that I follow. So uh, Ryan Rosillo from the ringer, he was formerly on ESPN. I like his podcast a lot, a lot. I'll kind of fast forward when he's talking about the NFL, just because the NFL doesn't interest me that much, but he talks a lot about college football, basketball, obviously. So I love that. He's got a life advice segment at the end of his podcast, which is pure gold. Uh, I'm a Celtics fan, so I'll, I'll listen to Bill Simmons as well. I just tend to disagree with him more than I do Ryan Rosillo, but uh, I like his podcast. They venture outside of sports too a lot, which is nice. Yeah. John Wilner is really, really good at his job, and uh, he's must follow for Pac-12 news. Obviously, I'm trying to think, Woj, he's the man, uh, oh, especially yeah. around uh, free agency time. You got to put yeah. notifications on him. Did you say which one you don't like? Uh, yeah. No, I didn't say it, but there's two out there for sure that, that I could say. John Rothstein um, okay. is the absolute worst. And Seth Davis isn't too far behind. Two guys that I don't have a whole lot of respect for. Okay. Politics aside, I don't like Clay Travis. And I don't think Mike McIntyre should have hung up on him the way he did on that interview a few years back. Yeah. But he, just, he comes I, off as a douche to me. He doesn't come off as a douche. He is a douche. Yeah. And I'll throw one more in there. I had a 15-minute conversation with Rick Riley at, at a mm. seat game way back in the day. Oh, man. He might be a t- talented writer, but I've never come away from a conversation with someone shaking my head thinking – I mean, he he is a douche as well, for sure. There, there's, least, a couple, uh, there's a couple more local writers that I could add on to that, sim- onto that list as well. I've squashed a few fe- feuds around town, so I'm not – restoking those. Oh yeah. I'm not, if you want to I'm throw it out going, there, you can. No, I'm not going to either. I think if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know a few of the guys that I'm not too fond of. <laughs> Fair enough. Wyo Buff also asked Adam, we have heard how much UCLA is spending on food for athletes. What's the situation in Boulder? Do the athletes like the food? So the football team, just players is what around 105, maybe 110 with some extra walk-ons in there. I don't think you're going to get agreement on any food with 100. 10 different human beings. Uh, but the spread there is really good. Not this year, obviously, but in typical years, we do our Tuesday press lunch in there in the champion center. And they bring in the same food that these guys have for training table. And it's really, really good. And it's bordering on the healthy side of things. A lot of lean proteins, veggies, uh, it's got flavor. It's not bland. It's really well put together. But you're talking with 18 to 22 year olds that want to go to Wingstop and get burgers and stuff like they don't eat like somebody that's in their 30s and 40s right. ha- learns that they have to eat if they want to live for a while. Right. And yeah. So, 
yeah, that's one of those things you learn as you get older, like as you cross 30, it's like, all right, I got to find a way to enjoy all this healthy food. And you honestly, the transition was pretty easy for me. I don't really yeah. miss, I don't miss all that nasty stuff that I used to eat. And they'll hook them up with like lobster tails sometimes and steaks. So they, they do get a good meal, but yeah, I think if you asked every player and pulled them, you know, and it wasn't something that uh, had to be made public, you'd probably have varying degrees, but uh, that's probably the case with most schools. I mean, UCLA stuff, some of the stuff that I read in that LA time stuff sounded way too fancy for what a 19, 20, 20 year old would like. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't learn to appreciate that level of food yet. <laughs> yeah. You might get. Um, I mean, yeah, based on everything that I've heard, the food that these guys get is more quality than you will find in most places for sure. Yeah. Biobuff also asked Tyler, what restaurant and or bar is missing in Boulder and would do very well? This is in your wheelhouse uh, here. Yeah. Well, for those who don't know, I was actually in the process of trying to open a restaurant bar when I when COVID hit in March. So if you didn't know that, I guess hopefully someday I'll be able to answer this question more directly. Um, <laughs> I will say um, I have been hammering every table known to man for the last whatever it is years that Avanti needs to go into Boulder. Perfect fit. And of course, it is going into Boulder right now. It should be opening pretty soon. So I would be very shocked if that doesn't have huge success there. Why do you think sports bars have struggled so much in Boulder? Um, I think they're the main two reasons are that there's none really that close to campus where the students live. And the people that go to school there, you know, they're, they're trying sports bar vibe. Isn't that's kind of like a uh, a graduated person's vibe. You're going to go down to Pearl street and party your face off when you're in college. And of course the locals in Boulder, it's a richer, you know, that sports bar again is not their vibe for a different reason, right? Typically they're going to get a more upscale meal with cocktails and that kind of stuff, not a hole in the wall wings, burgers type of place. I think it's just tough in Boulder for that. I mean, I, I would also say that the quality of sports bars that have been around Boulder the last 20 years are pretty awful. Food was bad at all those places, old vibe, old TVs didn't do a great job catering to the style of person that's in Boulder. So I think, I think there's definitely work to be done there and you can have success. I will say, you know, having the football team be bad for 20 years in a row doesn't help matters either. True. Yeah. All right. Moving along. The Gildan one asked, can we plug 2021 roster holes at linebacker, for example, with Juco players given a, the extra year of scholarships we have to cover and B Juco football, not happening until spring at the earliest. So one hole they are going to try to fill Juco wise is with Tristan Oliver at safety. So there, there is one guy coming in from there, but it's going to be tough. Tyler, you look at it, They've got 18 verbal commitments on board for 2021 right now. And that this doesn't count CU's current seniors that could potentially come back because that, that wouldn't count towards the cap in 2021. But they've got 92 scholarship commitments already looking ahead. So there's going to be some attrition. 92 is not a scary number. They can get down to 85 easily from there. But it doesn't mean you, you have a ton of room to bring in a whole crop of, of JUCO guys. Do they have to get down to 85 next season? Yeah, because that 92 number doesn't count any seniors that could come back. So, like, Sam Noir comes back. Okay. He wouldn't count towards that 92 number that I threw out there. Got it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, linebacker, I think – I don't know this for sure, but I do think we have a little more depth there than maybe people realize right now. 
just because they're not getting a lot of PT. And Nate Lamont's not going to come off the field. Akil Jones really isn't either. But I do think that there are some guys in the wings there that probably are a little bit more ready than the average fan thinks right now. I think Mr. Williams is one to keep an eye on for the future. I've keyed in on him on special teams a few times, and he brings some physicality out there. You know, Marvin Ham will now have been next year being in the program for three years. Quinn Perry, we saw out there a little bit. Uh, again, I, I think some of those guys might have been playing more, to your point, had they just not had such great options at, at the top of the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, with Carson and even Jamar Montgomery coming back, they could try to play those guys together a little bit more, maybe as well. I, I think there's a little more options. Obviously, listen, you're not going to replace Nate Landman. I'm not trying to say that. But I do think that there are options available that guys aren't really talking about right now. Yeah, got to throw Jan- John Van Deest in there as well. Uh, to, to answer his question – Again, it's going to be hard, I think, to bring in a lot more guys. And then you also, Tyler, you got to be a little bit delicate with the JUCO situation because uh, you bring too many of those guys. And I don't know how Kansas State and Bill Snyder did it for all those years because you can really disrupt the locker room a little bit if you go too JUCO heavy because you've got younger guys that feel like it's their turn and you bring a JUCO guy in and they get kind of frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you never uh, recruit a high school kid, you're not going to frustrate any of those people. (laughs) That's true, yeah. what Kansas State did, right? Uh, Everyone comes in as a junior. There's like four freshmen incoming in each class. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it can disrupt that. I think you have to be smart about which positions you're taking guys at as well. Um, There there are certain positions that have not worked out transition-wise from JUCO to regular college football for almost every program, let alone Colorado. But I think it's traditionally defense. You're going to have better luck on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, lineman is really hard. Offensive lineman, I feel like, is, has not been an area of success from traditionally, even wide receivers, right? I mean, it takes usually wide receivers a little bit of time to adjust. And when you only have two years, that's difficult. Yeah. And those are pretty deep positions on CU's roster. Like running back, you're worried about keeping guys happy. Uh, mm-hmm. O-line, they've got a ton of scholarship guys there. And so – yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think JUCO is necessarily going to be the route. Uh, I wouldn't mind if they added a, another safety to go with Tristan Oliver just because uh, that's been such an issue for them. Right, yeah, safety I think is the number one area. And for what it's worth, we have had some success with those type of guys. I mean, Afalabi Laguda was a JUCO safety. Um, I, there's someone else recently that is – Akella Weatherspoon wasn't a safety, but obviously – came in right away as a defensive back and eventually helped us as well. So secondary, we have been able to fill some of those gaps a little bit more comfortably. Ellie Buff asked, what happened to our DeSoto pipeline? It seems like we aren't recruiting the school anymore and the talent is still top notch in 2021. I think part of that, Tyler, is that the guys they got from DeSoto were like family. You hear Katie Nixon refer to LaVisca Chenault as his brother. He refers to Josh Dines as his brother. Obviously, Fonte Chenault is LaVisca's younger brother. That that group of four guys was so close. The DeSoto recruits they've offered since then haven't had that same connection with, with those guys. Yeah, I mean, we certainly haven't had a lot of success there. I mean, I don't know. I feel like three or four years ago, you got a lot more insight into – which schools Chev specifically and other guys on the staff were going into and trying to build connections with. We don't hear much about that anymore. So it's a little bit harder to get a gauge on what specifically they're trying to do in each state. 
you know, it did seem like there was a lot of focus on DeSoto specifically for a time there, and you just don't hear about that. Yeah. Well, part of that's because they haven't been able to go on the road, right? <laughs> well, this year, but I mean, even in the last couple of years, like it, okay. under, under Mel Tucker as well, you just didn't, there wasn't as much uh, transparency, I guess I would say, about what exactly they were trying to accomplish. Call me Coach B asked, is there a recruit that you were most excited about that nobody else was? Tyler, uh, you mentioned him earlier and how, how we've been on Carson Wells for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he still has, does he still have that article that was written about him by, I saw that he tweeted about it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Where he, he was a two star that was unlikely to make the roster <laughs> that one. Yeah. yeah. So, so bad, bro. Mm. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, we, we saw him at a Friday night lights camp at CU, and Levitt was with him pretty much the whole camp. You could tell that uh, yeah. he knew that he was going to be a really good player and won the fastest man competition among – was it just the linebackers? That, that? I think I think he was he was definitely the fastest among the defensive guys. I think he got, like, second in the whole entire thing, though, because you remember they sent – the guys who won each position group went against – each other he got second um they, i don't remember the name of the kid but he was a, a, a little tiny white wide receiver who ended up going to montana remember that kid uh, yeah. Was, yeah yeah um <laughs> i don't remember what his name was though i'm not sure if he did anything there but he was a blazer um yeah i guess i would i'll actually we talk about the guys from colorado so much I, one guy from in-state that i was obsessed with that stuck out um, and eventually did catch on later on is Drake Nugent, who is the second string center for Stanford right now. I was, you know, yelling at the top of my lungs for months about how good he was uh, without much interest. He, I, he was committed somewhere else early, right? Oklahoma State, maybe? I want All say. I remember is that CU never moved, moved right. on. That's the yeah, part I had that no I interest in him. And then ended up going to Stanford, which is awesome. He started some games last year. Because uh, of injury, I'm not sure if he started any this year, but he's the backup center for them right now. That's one guy that sticks out. I remember Isaiah Oliver being one that didn't make a whole lot of sense. How the Arizona schools let an athlete like that leave the state is yeah. surprising. And then the the argument that his rating was so low is that he didn't have elite speed. And I'm looking at his track <laughs> time, scratching my head going, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, man. Yeah. That one was really bad. I remember. And honestly, this sounds dumb in hindsight, but LaVisca Chenault as well. Yeah. I mean, it was a guy that he had a bunch of offers, but was not super highly ranked. And I remember me and you, and I forget who else was on staff at that time, just watching film. And he wasn't even the highest rated player on his own that we signed from DeSoto that year, that was Katie Nixon. And our, all of us were just kind of laughing about that at the time, like no disrespect to KD, but yeah, you put on the film for about five seconds and it was pretty clear that LaVisca was going to be a better player. We really liked Jarek Broussard too. Uh, yeah, we saw somebody that saw, and someone put a video. We should bring some of those back. Those videos that only the, only the ones that are, that we turn out right though. No, I want to, I want to see some of the bad ones too. Uh, bad ones, Dylan Keeney would be one for me. Ooh. I loved his tape a lot. Yeah, he had yeah. some injuries. I don't know how much of that played into it. Um, yeah. I th- I liked Michael Matthews a lot coming on to Mission Viejo, but part of the problem there was that they switched from a, a four-man front to a three-man front, and he was kind of the tweener once they did that. We yeah, not, Nothing uh, comes 
blatantly out of it for me. I'm sure I'm sure I've had some bad ones over the years, though, for sure. We both love Tony Jomisi and Johnny Huntley coming out of mm. Florida. I like and, I like Jomisi a lot more than I like Huntley. We talked about him kind of being slow, which ended up working out. He was another guy that we, Jomisi was much lower ranked than Huntley. I remember we both thought that was crazy. And, and he would have been was, a, yeah, he would have yeah, been a real was, good player. He got arrested. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Huntley is a tight end doing big things for Liberty, which is having a great yeah. season. So we didn't completely botch that one. Darian Jones, the tight end that came in from the Juco ranks, that didn't turn out so well. I liked him too. Yeah. I don't have to go back and look. I'll put some on Twitter. I bet there's some that I really brutally missed on. Okay. T-Town Buff asked, what is holding Arden Walker back from committing to the Buffs? Any idea on who might be the first recruit of 2022? Do you see any assistant coaches leaving for other jobs next season? With Chev, oh, man, this is a lot of questions. Maybe we should go piece by piece here. Uh, Arden Walker is focused on the state championship game right now, and uh, I think he knows that he can announce when he wants to, but we're getting close to that early signing period. Um, Yeah. I would like to see that happen sooner rather than later. I'm getting a little frustrated by that. Okay. All right. <laughs> first recruit for 2022. Give me, give me a few weeks on that one. Let's get through the early signing period. Yeah. First. I'm a, there was a lineman in state who's, I'm sorry, the name is escaping me. And I don't think we've offered him yet, but he seemed pretty interested. He was like a mid eighties guy, something gray. Does that sound right? Travis Gray doesn't have an offer. Travis yet. So. Right. That's what I'm saying. doesn't have an offer yet. Yeah. So we'll see on that. Assistant coaches leaving for other jobs this season, man. I want to answer these questions, but I, I don't have a crystal ball here, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, one of them is Chev doing very well calling plays and recruiting. I'm not. I wouldn't really. He's been good twice and not so good once. We'll see. I think I don't really. Maybe it's just me, but I don't see him being on anyone's like super hot list for a head coaching job this next year. And will the Texas A&M game be played at mile high next year? That's certainly a possibility. So, yeah. I'm sorry, T-Town Buff, we didn't give you a whole lot there. Yeah. For every reason other than I live three blocks away from the stadium, I hope that that game is not at mile high. But I'll make it worth your while if it is. Let's just put it that way. Major Buff and DeGreen Buffs, they asked about a breakdown of 2021 recruiting. Yeah, we're going to be crushing that on the site coming up here in the next few weeks, mostly on the premium side. Tyler, am I going to be able to recruit you to do some, uh, some videos on these guys? Oh yeah. You know, you know, that's my jam. I'm all nice, about that. Nice. Very cool. I so like yeah, to, we, I like to get my opinions on video that we can bring back years later and make fun of. That's my <laughs> favorite part. Of the it is going to be weird. It's like they end the season and then next week they're signing a class. It's just mm-hmm. a different timeline than we're used to. So I'm going to be, uh, so some late nights in my office with our, with our puppy, I guess. I look forward to those days where we were up for like 24 hours doing coverage though, man, that was that signing day is my favorite. I really hope that we turn it back on again this year. We'll have to find some way to do it like over zoom where we can maybe get fans to come on and ask questions. That'd be a lot of fun. Good idea. All right. Let's move over to basketball. Now, Tyler, obviously the buffs went out to Manhattan, Kansas and, and won both games in the little apple classic both games without Deshaun Schwartz and in the second game against Kansas State without Keyshawn Bartholomew and Tristan De Silva. Before we get into uh, you know where the program's at right now, let's look back to those first two games. What were your, your overall takeaways? Uh, I mean, listen, that's a really good start to the year. I, I think there's no other way to put it. 
you know, I, I think Tad probably loved it because there's plenty of tape that will get him yelling at the boys, um, stuff that he didn't like, especially defensively and uh, rebounding the basketball, which, you know, that's Tad. Um, but ultimately, we handled both teams. And in what I would say, we didn't play great. And also, we're missing one of our most important pieces for both games. And watching Keyshawn Bartholomew play in the first game, missing two of your most important pieces for the second game. Um, neither of those teams are good that we played, South Dakota or Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State looks like a team that could finish last in the Big 12. But anytime you can beat a Power 5 team on the road by 15, when you give up a 15-point lead <laughs> to start the game, um, it is impressive. I, you know, you can you can spin it as many ways as you want. Those are games that you want on your resume at the end of the year. Um, I think you have to love – I mean, listen, we can talk about McKinley Wright for three hours if we want to, but the dude is playing on an, another level that we haven't seen yet from him. Uh, Tad's talked about how he's an All-American candidate, and so far he's certainly played like it. Um, I think – you know, the, the the big men haven't played up to what they can so far, especially Evan has not gotten off to a great start. Um, but I loved pretty much what I've seen in terms of everybody else is capable of contributing um, in some manner. Jabari Walker obviously has been phenomenal in two games. But, you know, we, we just continue to find these type of guys. It seems like Tad Boyle, you know, you never know who it's going to be out of a class, but someone comes in and impresses right away. Uh, I thought Keyshawn, we meant, talked about it a little bit, was phenomenal in the first game. Uh, he just makes the offense so much more serviceable with McKinley on the bench. Or if he's not on the bench, they can take McKinley off the ball and just let him do other things offensively. Uh, he's a huge part of this program moving forward. Speaking of Jabari Walker, some guys just have it, right? And you, you they, what do they call it, the it factor? Is his ceiling higher? Than both Andre Robertson and Tyler Bay, because he's got, he's got he's got a little bit more of a jump shot than those two guys did. Obviously, yeah, it depends on what it depends on what ceiling you're asking about. I mean, in terms of a college production, I would say that yes, his ceiling is higher. Both of those guys are far more athletic than Jabari. Jabari's long, but he's not he's not a, a leaper. You know, his transition transition into the NBA is going to be tougher than both of those guys. So for me. Are you if if you're asking me is Jabari Walker going to be a first round or an early second round pick in the NBA? He's going to have to develop a lot more, um, in my opinion. But in terms of college production, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he has all the tools to be, you know, dominant on both ends, just like Tyler was. Um, I think rebounding the ball, he's going to have um, more development than those two guys needed for sure. But offensively, there's no doubt he has the tools to be better than those two pretty quickly. You mentioned the competition wasn't very good out in Manhattan. Was there anything you saw, though, in those two games that changed any of your expectations or your perception of the team? I would say no, but that's because my expectations were higher than almost everyone else. Um, yeah, I think if you asked that question to almost anyone on the national scale, would they say, if you asked them, is Colorado better than you expected, the answer would be yes. Uh, I think this is a team that anybody who's watched them play or continues to watch them play, I think there should be expectations that they're a tournament team, just as there was for me to start the year. Um, do they have holes? Yeah. I mean, if Maddox Daniels is playing 28 minutes a game, 
that's not going to work out long term. You, you think most of that stuff will, you know, if Deshaun Schwartz comes back healthy and Keyshawn comes back healthy, that probably takes care of itself. And Maddox has a role on the team too. I don't, I don't want to completely throw him under the bus. You know, he's he's going to have games where he helps us. But I think the development of Luke O'Brien, uh, Nick Clifford, those kind of guys are going to be huge for how far this team goes. But there's no doubt that this team uh, has a chance to make the tournament. And I think the Pac-12 is probably a little better than it was given credit for to start the year as well. So there's going to be tough competition ahead. We know that Deshaun Schwartz test, tested positive for COVID. Tad Boyle said Monday morning that uh, he's doing great. Uh, we know that Bartholomew and De Silva were put into the contact tracing protocol. We know that there was another positive. We don't know who that was, and we don't know how many people were put in contact tracing because of that. But we do know that they didn't feel they had enough players to go down to Tucson to play on Wednesday night. Uh, it's hard to know going forward, but they've got you know another game scheduled against Washington State on Saturday, and I have to imagine that's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, and the CSU game, I mean, CSU is not – played yet either with their issue so i would honestly be surprised if the csu game gets played as well yeah and so maybe the earliest they'll be back in the court is december 14th against unc is that if you're putting odds on it that's probably the best light that's where i would put it for sure and you know it's frustrating it sounds like they're going to try to reschedule the conference games which i think is good i mean listen you know would it have been nice to go down to arizona before they really get the ball rolling yes but if you're asking me, can I have Deshaun Schwartz and Keyshawn Bartholomew for that game? That's probably a win for CU. I mean, it, that's that's a game that's winnable, healthy, um, and less winnable with our with what the situation would have been. So, I think it may end up being beneficial for us long term. It's going to be crazy just in terms of how they try to reschedule these games. But at least yeah. with men's basketball and like football, you've got a lot more time to try to find opportunities to get these games in. Um, mm-hmm. And one other thing that that's maybe a little bit encouraging in terms of trying to get some of these games in is the CDC is now coming out and saying that they're recommending 10 days of isolation if you've had contact with somebody that tests positive or seven days if you have no symptoms. So if, uh, you know, this is adopted by college basketball as well, uh, you could see that really helping get the season, you know, in terms of being able to get some of these games in before uh, you, you want to get to that tournament. Yeah. I mean, it'll help marginally, right? I mean, it's still, that's still a long stretch of time. That's two conference games at minimum for any time this happens. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an improvement, right? And people are going to say, well, why couldn't we do this earlier? I mean, for the same reason as always, right. You have to learn more about how this virus works. We don't know enough about it. Uh, they're, they're making these decisions based on data that comes in and making the best decision. It's, you know, it's still going to be crazy seven, you know, seven days is, you know, it's not like it's nothing. So it's still going to affect quite a bit of games. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for today. Tyler, appreciate you uh, for, for joining me on this. Let's, uh, Get back uh, with another podcast next week. All right. Sounds good. Glad to have, glad to be here. I mean, and thanks to all of you for tuning in.